This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. Hey, what is up, everybody? Jeremy here. And guys, I'm very excited for the conversation we have today. We have Douglas Bertram with us today, and he's helping peak performers to achieve flow. He is the founder and CEO of Structural Elements and has 27 years of clinical experience treating patients with his proprietary combination of Chinese medicine and manual therapy. He's an educator, public speaker, and entrepreneur. His education includes a BA in contemplative psychology, a minor in traditional and Eastern arts, and he is really doing some incredible things about how they're addressing the body and health. Doug, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I want to find out for you first and foremost, you know, you've been in this sphere a long time. You've been helping people with their health for a long time, but you know, what got you interested or what made you feel like this was your mission, man? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting. I have been standing over a table for 27 years and people used to not believe that, which was always kind of flattering. And after scaling businesses and having kids and all of that, now people are <laughs> starting to not question that as much as they used to. But honestly, it comes down to one really simple event in my life that got me on this track. I lived to play soccer as a kid and I was a goalkeeper most of my life. And I broke my wrist really badly when I was a freshman in high school. And I had a really negative experience with the orthopedic surgeon. He kind of told me I should consider myself lucky that he saved my fingers, but don't expect a lot of use out of that hand. Oh, my gosh. We had a really negative experience myself. My dad broke his arm like 10 years ago now. And the orthopedic surgeon that we went to didn't like handle it correctly. So his arm is still at a funky angle, which has been really weird for golf. So like, yeah, I get it, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for a kid that lives to play goalkeeper, it's not something you want to hear at the age of 14. And on the flip side of that, I went to an occupational therapist who was totally amazing. And he said, don't listen to any of that. He said, the beautiful thing about the human body is it has the ability to heal given the right set of circumstances. We're just going to give you the right set of circumstances and we're going to get this thing, you know, 100%. And I was the starting goalkeeper the next year, you know, my sophomore year. So to me, that was like, you know, it it was all about setting the context of what's possible. And once I really realized that the human body does have this amazing ability to transform and to heal, I just became obsessed. And that's kind of been my fascination ever since. Why do you think most people don't look at it that way, right? It's interesting because it's like, you know, there's a pill for this, there's a treatment for this, there's never a, okay, well, what's happening? How do we solve it? And how do we get to the root cause of it? I guess, why do most people not look at it the way you're looking at it? Well, I don't think our medical system at large is set up to empower the patient. I mean, I think we have kind of learned that the authority is outside of ourselves. And unless we're lucky enough to come in contact with a practitioner that educates us differently, I think a lot of people live in that paradigm that they don't listen to their bodies. They don't trust the wisdom of their intuition and they don't realize that you can actually control how the body responds to stress, how the body responds to injury by not only the things that you put in your body, but by freeing up those resources to heal faster. 
Well, I guess one of the things you and I were talking about before we started recording here is the thing that nobody thinks of, something that you said is vital. And being somebody that's been a competitive athlete for in the fitness world for a long time, like I get that too. And that's the idea of connective tissue. You may be able to bench 315, man, but if you haven't gotten your connective tissue ready to get, you know, handle that, you're set up for a rude awakening. Like you're going to have some real issues. Like connective tissue injuries are some really rough injuries. So I guess like what should we be looking at with connective tissue? And I guess how does this whole thing relate to Chinese medicine and peak performance? Yeah, it's a loaded question, man, but I love it. (laughs) So when people hear connective tissue, they don't really have any concept of what function connective tissue plays in the body. Even when you study anatomy, they don't really teach anything about connective tissue. They dissect the long connective tissue to give you origin and insertion-based anatomy. But it's actually really difficult to separate muscles. You need a scalpel and you really need to know where to cut. It's not Mm. intuitive at all. The reality of our anatomy is that there is a type of tissue called fascia that encases every structure in the body continuously. And it surrounds the organs, it attaches to the periosteum of the bone, it separates not only one muscle from its neighbor, but each individual muscle fiber from muscle fiber next to it. It encases nerve endings, it surrounds blood vessels, it attaches to the skin. I mean, there is just this immense system that only recently is being recognized as an organ. And it's the largest organ in the body, larger than the skin. And it is really an organ of communication is ultimately what its primary function is. And you mentioned, you know, powerlifting. It's what communicates to a neighboring muscle that it needs to help, Mm -hmm. right? So when you're loading one muscle and you take it into a range of motion where you now need backup from another muscle, the tug and the tension on the connective tissue is what facilitates the engagement of the neighboring muscle to perform an activity. You linked in there, the loaded part of the question was, how does this all relate to (laughs) Chinese medicine? And I'm going to kind of try to keep it high level, but in Chinese medicine, you talk about a system of meridians or pathways, energetic pathways through the body. And a lot of Mm -hmm. the goal of Chinese medicine is to get free flow of energy, right? Blocked energy, bad, flowing energy, good, right? Yes. But ultimately, we have no real connection to what does energy mean? Even the professors that I was paying a lot of money in my education in Chinese medicine couldn't really tell me what energy really was. And the moment that I started realizing that the meridians are fascia, they're fascial planes that are uninterrupted through the body, and that the chi flow through these meridians or along the fascia is simply communication. It's the ability for that system to self-sense and communicate to the rest of the body what it's experiencing. And the more that we have awareness of that system, the more that we listen to that communication, the more uh, the higher functioning that tissue becomes. You know, what's really interesting is one of the last things you said there about the idea of awareness, right? And I think that when somebody work out a lot, they compete a lot, they do a lot of different things, you start to become aware of your body. I can think of times that I've started warming up for squats. And I'm like, you know what? Like something just doesn't feel right in my left hip flexor. You know, you try and loosen it up. It doesn't get loose. And you're like, you know what? Maybe today isn't the right day to squat. Maybe I need to do something different to handle that. And I think that awareness of your body comes from a long time and really listening to it. I think you see a lot of, you know, in professional sports, I think it's changing. But you see at the same time, 
we're told to ignore our body, right? We're told to get, you know, think past it, you know, take this drug, do whatever to keep playing. And that's how a lot of injuries start to happen. I guess when we're looking at that, how do we get better at listening to our body and knowing when this is happening? Well, I think it first starts with buying into the awareness that this system even exists, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to pay attention to a system that you don't even know about, right? Once you realize that the fascia is completely necessary to allow for one muscle to glide past its neighbor and that there's a property to healthy fascia that's called visoelasticity. It's the ability for tissue to deform and return back to its original shape. That's healthy function of fascia. When we overtrain, when we load the connective tissue with too much force, when we're underhydrated, when we're undernourished or too stressed out is the other big one, that tissue starts to become tense and it loses that elasticity. And when it loses the elasticity, it transfers load onto neighboring structures, whether that's joints or muscular attachments. So in the example that you gave of noticing, hey, my hip flexor is tight, you know, I think that maybe today is not the day, especially when you're performing something explosive that has a high risk of injury. Mm -hmm. The signaling that you're paying attention to is your fascia bidirectionally telling the nervous system, we have a problem here. And if you don't listen to it, right, you're going to create harm. It's a response saying that there's a threat. And that's how our autonomic nervous system works. You know, the brain can tell the fascia, hey, stiffen up, there's danger here. And the fascia can tell the brain, hey, we have a problem here, you know, kick on the sympathetic nervous system and respond to it bidirectional, which is pretty amazing in my book. Doug, this is super intriguing, man. Like, I don't know if you've seen me. I've been like jotting down so many questions this is bringing up for me. And I guess you said, and you can correct me if the pronunciation is wrong. You said visoelasticity. Was that the correct word? That's correct. Yes. So you were talking about how that is like, I guess, the elasticity of the muscle and how it works and how it slides. They talk about people getting, have an easier time tearing muscles as they get older. Is that because of that issue or is that related to something else? Um, it's directly related to this issue. So the healthy connective tissue is made up of collagen fibrils and those mm -hmm. fibrils form these little triangular matrices and those triangular matrices are full of fluid called hyaluronic acid and healthy mm -hmm. tissue allows kind of this spongy elastic response. When we, again, dehydrated, when we overtrain, when we do the same activity over and over again without uh, variation, we collapse those fluid-filled vacuoles. And instead of having, think of like bubble wrap, yeah. you pop all of the bubbles in the bubble wrap, now all of a sudden if you pull it tight, you're going to have all of those little cells coming much closer together. And as those collagen fibrils align and get closer to each other without the fluid in between them, they form what's called a focal adhesion. And those focal adhesions stiffen and you lose that elastic property. And they form to protect us against stress, right? They form in response to stress. However, it also holds us in a state where we're getting a lot of signaling back to the nervous system saying we're not okay. There's threat here. So can we reverse that? Because I know for myself, like one of the big things when I was 19, so we're talking like, gosh, almost 20 years ago now, but I tore my ACL, PCL and meniscus. Like I shredded my knee playing football. And one of the things that I supplemented with at the time was like 100% liquid collagen. And I found that like my recovery was a lot better because of that. I'm curious we talk about, you know, this elasticity disappearing over time. You talked about those areas kind of hardening due to stress, due to use, due to age. 
is there anything we can do about that? Like, is it supplementing with collagen? Is it how we're training? Is it how we're stretching? Is there anything we can do to preserve that? Or is that just once it's gone, it's gone? No, there's a ton that we can do. And, and, and it's never too late. The beautiful thing is if you're still above ground and you're still breathing, you're still building new cells and you're still replacing tissue. So we absolutely can introduce resources to change that. You know, the work that we do in our clinics is really about finding what we call systematic focal adhesions that have formed. And kind of what our secret sauce is at Structural Elements is that we've mapped out where these things form in a numerical grid. So if you have, you know, say you shredded your knee, like your example, you're going to have areas above and below the knee that are going to have compensated in response to pain and change of gait and compensation, but it's not going to be limited to your knee. It's also going to form in your low back. It's also going to form in your neck. As soon as you have any structural imbalance in the body, you are going to start to go through a cascade of compensations until you get your eyes and ears back to level. It's called a neutral horizon. You don't go around you know, crooked in terms of your eyes and ears. You will do whatever it takes to get that horizon back to neutral. And that all takes effort, right? And that effort is usually loading big muscles. Those big muscles are considered prime movers. They're designed to move the body. And when you start asking a prime mover to take on a postural role, there's just gross metabolic inefficiency. So it's going to lay down those collagen fibers. It's going to glue muscles together for mechanical advantage. So that's kind of how those things show up in the first place. But to correct them, it's kind of an undoing of that process, right? We use dry needling to address some of those focal adhesions. That's a very effective tool. The difference between how we dry needle and a lot of what's out there is we're not trying to hit a motor point to cause the muscle to contract. And for a relaxation response, we actually create what we call a mechanical coupling where we spin the needle and we wrap the collagen fibers around the shaft of the needle. If you think of a fork and a plate of spaghetti, that's kind of a good image for those collagen fibers rafting around the shaft of the needle. And that causes a chemical response from the needle where it actually secretes a lubricating substance to get that glide restored. But that's just the tool that we use. You can also use, you know, self-massage tools where you pin, you know, some of those adhesions and you go through an active range of motion to strip those fibers. You can pay attention to your posture so that you're not forming new adhesions. You can do a uh, gentle, you know, myofascial release on a foam roller or yoga. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways that you can get to it. Well, you've mentioned like stress here quite a bit and like, you know, what stress does to the body and some of the things it causes as well. How can, you know, stress is never going away, right? We're dealing with it every day. And I think for some people, you look at the last two years, man, like stress has been like a, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it's been like a 25 for a lot of people. So it's been kind of a difficult time. So it's not going away. It's how we live and how things are. How do we make stress work for us? And how do we manage that? Because also as high performance athletes or people doing things like it's just the name of the game, man. It's just how it is. Like the body's going to be under stress. Like, so how do we manage that? Performance in work and in life and in sport is all dependent on how well we react to stress. Okay. Stress is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Stress is critical to our survival. It's how we get stronger. It's how we build immunity. It's how we improve cognitive function. So it is not a bad thing. It's critical to our survival and it's critical for growth. And I think people also lump them in as well, right? Because there's like, there's also eustress, right? Like there's euphoric stress that can be good for the body too, but people tend to lump it all into stress, you know? Well, you know, the reality is that stress doesn't differentiate. It really doesn't. We have a very basic system. We have an on switch and we have an off switch, okay? And mm. stress turns, flips the on switch, 
Okay, so when we have the on switch flipped on, the physiologic responses are very predictable, right? We're going to mm -hmm. increase our heart rate. We're going to constrict our pupils. We're going to, you know, have uh, shunt blood from the extremities. It's a whole physiologic process to get us into a receptive state to perform or to fight or flee, right? To flight. The off switch is the parasympathetic system, right? It helps us bring blood flow to the extremities to repair tissue. It helps stimulate digestion. It helps us to absorb nutrients. It helps us to get better oxygen saturation back into the tissue. They're just two like clusters of physiologic responses. And it doesn't matter if it's physical stress, mechanical stress, chemical stress, emotional stress. It's still an on or an off switch, right? The difference is we don't turn the switch off soon enough when we are in a, you know, when the real high stress is, is over. After the competition's done, right, a lot of people stay in that high stress. Or after you get cut off on the highway, people stay in that high stress response. They don't find the off switch. They don't downregulate. So if you chronically have the stress switch flipped on, guess what? It's going to start to burn you out. I use the example of you don't stay in first gear on the highway. You have to shift gears. If you don't, you're going to blow up your engine, right? Mm -hmm. And But somehow we think the body is capable to just go, 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 go without any sort of recovery and without kind of finding that down regulation. But performance is really about finding little moments where we regroup and we rebalance even in the midst of a high demand situation. It's learning those skills that make the difference of whether somebody gets stronger or gets injured. Does adrenal fatigue play a part in this? Like, do you see that also being an issue as well? Because I remember like back in the days when I used to be a high school teacher in my early 20s, there were nine periods a day, which to me, I thought meant I needed to drink nine large cups of coffee because obviously you go to the teacher's room in between everything. So like I was so cracked out by three o'clock and like my adrenal gland was so messed up and it actually, a lot of the stress issues I had in my body at that time were worse because of that. Like, so do you see this also being an adrenal issue as well? Yeah, 100%. So think of the adrenals as our furnace, okay? Mm -hmm. That's going to provide heat and resources to the body. And think of being in a stress response as leaving the door wide open, okay? So if your door is open and the heat's running constantly, eventually that heater is going to burn out, Yeah. right? So the adrenals are our furnace and the thyroid is our thermostat, right? And if we keep, you know, asking them to juggle this high stress situation, eventually they're just going to burn out and you're not going to have the stress hormones to balance it back out. And, you know, when people start getting adrenal fatigue, even though they're exhausted, it affects their ability to get quality sleep. They don't get into that deeper REM sleep. When you're in adrenal fatigue, you just simply aren't getting the hormone balance to properly regulate and repair tissue. You're going to get low energy, you're going to get fatigue. It's like going into debt. Right. You're living outside of your means. Right. And that's what happens kind of on an energetic level to the body. It's like, yeah, if you get a new credit card with, you know, a $50,000 limit on it, it's party time for six months. And all of a sudden you hit that limit and now all the funds are gone and you have to figure out how you're going to pay it back. It's yeah. the same thing with the adrenals. You know, you can use them for a while, man. But once you hit that limit, you've got a hole to climb out of.
Well, it's interesting because I think we, and I do want to get back to what we were talking about, the stress in just a second, but I think this is an interesting thread as part of it as well, because we also make these problems worse. As I think about in the fitness world, one of the things I've seen guys do is, okay, they'll use pre-workout number one for 30 days, and then it stops becoming effective because obviously they've depleted their adrenals to that point. So then they try pre-workout number two, and that one works for a little bit, and then they go back to another stimulant. And they never actually like get off of this stuff and handle their adrenals, and they're making the problem worse. Is that something you've seen as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, any stimulants that you're introducing to the body, you're going to have a reaction that it's going to create a need for additional downregulation of the nervous system and additional supplementation to deal with the negative effects of the stimulant, right? So um, you can get away with it for a period of time, but then you're going to have to pay the price, you know, and that's either going to happen through the body will eventually self-regulate. So it'll do so through Mm -hmm. injury or through illness or just an energy crash, right? So eventually the body will just say, no, we're not going to give you that response anymore. There was a product that came out, gosh, like maybe 15 years ago now. And the main stimulant in it is actually banned by the FDA now, so they don't sell it. But it was called at that point in time, it was Jack 3D and the stimulant was 1,3-dimethylanoline. And you would use it and you'd have this like out-of-body workout experience and then you'd sleep for 17 hours after it. Like, I just can't imagine that being good for you. But, you know, going back to these ideas of kind of downshifting a little bit, taking care of the body, like sure, adrenals are part of it, but I guess... What other things should we consistently be doing so that we're giving our body this relaxation? We're giving our body this ability to kind of downshift from the stress. Yeah. Well, first thing is recognizing what it feels like to be in a stress state. The first thing is the awareness that we are in a stress state. Shallow breathing is one of the symptoms. Having tightness in the muscles, clenching of the jaw, tightness of the hip flexors, cold hands and feet, you know, restlessness when it's time to try and relax and fall asleep. Those are all symptoms that are saying, hey, we're like spun up a little bit and, and something needs to change. Fortunately, the nervous system is pretty easy to downregulate if we apply the right set of tools. And one of the biggest tools that you can do is deep diaphragmatic breathing. And diaphragmatic breathing is how we stimulate the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is what stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system to get into a downregulated response. A lot of people have started paying attention to heart rate variability, but very few people really understand how heart rate variability actually works. Mm -hmm. Heart rate variability is a good indicator of whether we're regulating our stress response because it measures the difference of our heart rate when we're inhaling versus when we're exhaling. And when we're exhaling, the heart should slow down. And that means that we're getting parasympathetic activity. If the heart rate doesn't slow down and we stay in that sympathetic state, our number's really low. There's not a big difference between inhalation and exhalation. And it shows that you're not getting that parasympathetic breakthrough. But we can force that change, right? We can manipulate it. So my favorite thing is the traction exercise, which patient-facing platform, SE Lab, which is lab.structuralelements.com. There's a link on top to traction. It's outside of the paywall. It's an exercise. It takes three minutes a day. You literally lay flat on your back. You flatten your lumbar spine. You flatten your neck. You open the palms up with the arms out to your sides, knees bent, and you breathe for three minutes, just a nice, deep, diaphragmatic breath. And it is unbelievable how much better you feel after three minutes of laying flat on your back and doing some conscious breathing. And if you do that consistently, it's like taking the trash out in real time. The stress just doesn't accumulate the same. It's a total biohack that we can just get around that accumulation. That's really, really intriguing because just like thinking like I'm just in my head, I'm picturing like what that would be like. And times that I've done that, you do feel 
you know, the stress, the load and things like that come off your spine. Because like, if you think about it, like our spine is always loaded and very few people unload it, right? So what you're talking about here, like not only are you allowing the body to reset, you're also unloading your spine, which is a really big deal. Yeah, it's huge. It's critical to get that nervous system to downregulate. Because if you're constantly, again, we're all on devices all the time. And, you know, when we're on especially small devices, the head goes forward and that loads up the mid-back. And the mid-back is where all the sympathetic nervous system is stimulated through what's called the dorsal root ganglia. And then in the high neck, in the occiput and in the sacrum is where the parasympathetic dorsal root ganglia are. So unless we're going flat on the back and taking that pressure off the mid-back and tucking the chin and opening up the sacrum, it's really hard for the body to shift out of that stress response response into that down-regulating parasympathetic response. And then if you add the breath to that, man, it's like magic. Well, Doug, this has been really intriguing, man. Like for people listening, if they want to find out more about you or finding out how, or they want to find out how structural elements can help them, you know, going to be the best way for our listeners to connect with you. Yeah, well, we have three clinics. I mean, if you're in Maryland or Wisconsin, you're in luck. You know, you can walk in the doors and consult with us directly. Um, but the reason we launched our patient-facing platform, which again is SE Lab is what we call it, but it's Lab dot structuralelements.com. That's the patient facing platform that has just tons of tools to help you learn how to balance the body, how to downregulate the nervous system, how to, you know, do joint specific rehab so that you're not forming those compensations. And again, outside of the paywall on that is the traction exercise. So we kind of view that as our gift to everybody. It's like, yeah, because it, takes no special equipment. It only takes three minutes a day. The world would just be a better place if everybody was doing their traction. So that's kind of our gift to the world. So please, you know, you have to give it like 30 days of consistency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're doing it once, it's going to feel relaxing. You know, a few times a week, great. You do it consistently for 30 days, you're a different person metabolically. Mm-hmm.